0: Sound Soundprint's Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushaville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of July 25, 2021. The 2021 ACB Conference and Convention was absolutely packed with presentations, information, exhibits tours and of course fun events. Last year we couldn't hold elections for the ACB Board of Directors because ACB is incorporated in the District of Columbia and we didn't have time to make sure that we could comply with the DC Nonprofit Code. In 2021 with a year to prepare and provisions issued by the District of Columbia because of COVID-19, we were able to vote remotely for the first time, making it possible for ACB members everywhere to participate in the voting using their computers or telephones. Five officers, six directors on the ACB board, and three members of the ACB board of publications were chosen. 11 of the 14 seats were filled by acclamation, but three seats were contested and required both individual voting and a roll call of the affiliates. The American Council of the Blind will hold a special membership meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, August 14, and another meeting at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, August 15, for the purpose of considering amendments to the ACB Constitution and Bylaws, to bring us into compliance with the D.C. Nonprofit Code so as to allow for remote voting at future ACB conventions. All members are asked to keep their ACB ballot voting information for these meetings as individual and affiliate voting will occur. If you have already discarded your individual voter ID code, Please contact the ACB Minnesota office at 612-332-3242 for help in obtaining your code. Between now and August 14, there will be opportunities for everyone to have input and participate in discussions at ACB community events broadcast on ACB Media, formerly ACB Radio, about the remote voting. We hope you will take part in the discussion as ACB works to make it possible for members to vote whether or not they can travel to in-person conventions. If you are a member of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and you registered for the ACB Conference and Convention, KCB will reimburse your $25 registration fee. If you have not already done so, please forward your registration receipt to us so that we can issue your stipend. The email address is kcb at kentucky-acb.org. If you do not have email or if you have misplaced your receipt, please call us at 502-895-4598 and we will request a copy of your receipt from the Minnesota office. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will host its next roundabout on Friday, July 30 from 5 to 9 p.m. at the United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. The program will include a convention roundup and page turners, and there will be time for individual help with Braille, technology, etc. Dinner will also be served. Cost of dinner is $6 per person. The following events will be on the KCB Zoom line. Join from your computer, cell phone, or landline, by calling 669-900-6833 and entering the code eight six two nine eight eight nine six nine seven two, or join through the Zoom link posted on our email list. GLCB will hold a virtual roundabout on Saturday morning, July 31 at 11 a.m. on the KCB Zoom line. No matter where you live in Kentucky, Southern Indiana, or in the United States, You are welcome to attend. The KCB Board will hold its July-August meeting of its Board of Directors on Monday, August 2 at 8 p.m. Board meetings are open and guests are welcome. The meeting is on the KCB Zoom line. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision invites everyone to its next telephone support group on Wednesday, August 4, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. The American Council of Blind Lions celebrated its 50th anniversary at the ACB convention, and everyone who registered for ACB Lions at the convention will receive a complimentary special limited edition 50th anniversary pin. If you did not register for ACB Lions at the convention, Or if you would like additional pins, you may purchase them subject to availability and on a first-come, first-served basis for $10 each. Contact Carla Rushavel at 502-897-1472. And remember that ACB Lions meets the first Thursday of each month on Zoom at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. The number to dial to join the call is 312 626 6799, and the code is eight four two three eight two five zero seven zero zero. The passcode, should you need it, is 172616. ACB was organized on July 7, 1961 in Kansas City, Missouri. A special 60-year anniversary key ring is available from the ACB Mini Mall. The key ring is genuine leather it's black with silver writing, and it says American Council of the Blind on one side and has a 60 on the other side. It comes in a gift box suitable for presentation to speakers, special volunteers, etc. Key rings are $15 each. For more information, contact the ACB Mini Mall at 877-630-7190 between the hours of noon and and 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. We are still receiving orders for our Pampered Chef party in support of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind virtual roundabouts. If you would like to place an order as part of our party, you can shop online at pamperedchef, pamperedchef.com slash party. Slash, GLCB Fundraiser, GLCB, F-U-N-D-R-A-I-S-E-R. Or call Cindy Golding, our Pampered Chef Representative, at 951-235-5486, and she will help you shop for kitchen gadgets, countertop appliances, spices and rubs and mixes, and cookware for the microwave, oven, or stovetop. Thanks in advance for supporting GLCB. By the way, the party will remain open until the end of July or perhaps a few days into August. Michael Hudson, director of the museum at the American Printing House for the Blind, presented an outstanding program on Helen Keller and the Lions on Thursday, July 22 at the ACB convention. The program was sponsored by ACB Lions. Over 60 people attended the session on Zoom, with others listening on ACV Media. The program is expected to become available as a podcast in the coming months, but we thought you would enjoy hearing it now on SoundPrints. The entire session was an hour and 15 minutes long. Thanks to Adam Rushaval for editing the file to fit into the time available on page two here on SoundPrints. Remember to call or email us with your comments feedback, and suggestions. We always like to hear from listeners. Call the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Page two. Good afternoon. You have come to the American Council of Blind Lions session entitled Helen Keller and the Lions. Welcome. We're so glad you're here, and we hope that you enjoy this presentation. ACB Lions, of course, is an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. I want to thank Danette Dixon for being our host today for this session, and John Gassman is streaming for us, and we certainly appreciate all their help. Today, as you know, we're going to be talking about Helen Keller and the Lions. We've often heard that Ellen Caldor challenged the Lions nearly 100 years ago to be Knights of the Blind. And for a lot of people, that's all they know. It's those four words. But there's a lot more to it than that. And Mike Hudson, director of the museum at the American Printing House for the Blind, is here with us today to tell us more about this story. Uh, We have heard so much about the presentations that he has made to some Lions clubs, and we know that we're all going to enjoy this so mike welcome to the session and uh we're looking forward to your remarks and so the time is now yours
1: thank you very much carla i um want to say hello to all you ac beers uh from uh, lexington kentucky it's nice and sunny here it's a great day to, to talk a little history so uh Uh, As Carla mentioned, uh, over the over the last 15, 16 months, while we've all been struggling with the COVID restrictions and and uh, people not being able to get together, uh, I was invited by a number of Lions Clubs across the country to do various presentations. And of course, I always included a little bit of, of history about Helen Keller and the Lions Clubs. And that all has arisen because back in January of 2020, uh, myself and our Helen Keller archivist, Justin Gardner, went up to Long Island and brought back the American Foundation for the Blind Helen Keller Archive to our museum in Louisville, Kentucky. And so for the past 16 months, well, almost uh, more than that, really, we've been um, perusing through it, going through it, inventorying it, describing it, um, just this amazing detritus of Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan Macy's career uh and uh and and finding out all kinds of of, of of I guess deeper understanding of the backstory behind uh what we all think we know about Helen Keller um and a lot of it ends up being myth and and then a lot of it the truth ends up being even more interesting than the myth but so we've been thinking a lot about Helen and Annie and and of course, the their interaction with the Lions Club is really important. So what I'm going to do for about the next 30, 35 minutes is just kind of walk through that story with you. And then at the end, we'll take we'll, we, we'll have some time left and we'll take some questions. Now, bear in mind that every time you tell a story, you know, it all starts with once upon a time, of course. Right. Things were different than they are today. And. Uh, A number of of, – a lot of – some of what I'm going to talk about, some of you all may be very familiar with, and some of it may be new to you. So um, let's just start with that little disclaimer. Some of this is going to be familiar. So the Lions Club is founded in 1917, essentially, in Chicago by a fellow named Melvin Jones, Jones is – well, he owns an insurance agency, and he's the member of a local business circle, like some of you may be members now. And the functions of this business circle and Jones' uh, business career just starts to ring a little hollow to him. Um, He is looking for a cause, a purpose. He wants to do something – Bigger, and he has this personal code. Um, you can't get very far until you start doing something for somebody else. And he comes up with this idea that the club's members, his his business circle, they're really talented people that they should be using those talents to serve the community. And so he starts contacting other similar types of business and community groups around the United States. And those groups send representatives uh, to several meetings that happen in 1917, and culminating in them adopting a constitution that adopts as the Lions Club's main tenet, quote, unselfish service to others, unquote. And they just start recruiting chapters, basically, re- basically bringing in other clubs all around the country – uh, but incorporating them into this, the Lions Club and a uh, club. Uh, it's, so they quickly start growing uh, they, and they go international just a few years later in 1920 uh, when they uh, opened the first uh, Lions Club in, in Ontario, Canada. Um, and uh, today. Well, at least, uh, uh, from the Lions Club website, January 2020, there are 46,000 local clubs scattered all over the world in more than 200 countries with more than 1.4 million members. It just explodes. This idea of Melvin Jones turns out there's a big appetite amongst a lot of uh, people out there to, to serve their communities. So that's the Lions Club, right? So then there's the American Foundation for the Blind, right? So the AFB this year is celebrating its 100th anniversary, its centennial. And AFB is founded in 1921. And much of the foundation's early work ends up being paid for directly out of the pocket of one man, M.C. Miguel, Moses Charles Miguel. He is AFB's first president. He is a wealthy silk merchant, and his uh, silk business is making so much money hand over fist that he has withdrawn from management of his business and has turned his attention, much as Melvin Jones had, to public service, specifically in Miguel's case, service to people who are blind or visually impaired. But they know at AFB that they are not going to be able to rely on MC Miguel for the rest of all time. So a lot of what they are concerned about in their early meetings is how to finance their work long-term. Now asked about it, uh, an influential early educator, Charles F. F. Campbell, who later goes to work for AFB in, uh, in nineteen twenty one he was director of the Detroit League for the Handicapped. He writes quote, I have felt very heavily that the most practical method of raising money is to avail oneself of the services of Miss Helen Keller and her teacher, unquote. And AFB did just that. Uh, Of course, Helen Keller is the most famous blind, the most famous disabled person anywhere in the world. You know, from the time that uh, Annie Sullivan starts writing back to the Perkins School in 1887 about her successes with uh, Helen in Tuscum, Alabama, the story is being published. Broadcast all over the world, first by newspapers and magazines and then by radio and film. And and Helen is just a very famous person. She has gone on the Broadway – I mean the uh, vaudeville circuit. And so she's, she's well known. And so AFB sets up a series of meetings with Helen Keller, Annie Sullivan, and potential donors around New Jersey in the spring of 1924 now afb is of course headquartered in new york so they sent helen and annie and a representative uh, from afb it changed from meeting to meeting and usually a musician a blind violinist or a piano player so a musician popular musician and they would sit down and and uh, they would show up in a city, and usually there would be a tea with a bunch of wealthy ladies, and then they would have a big public meeting at whatever the largest hall in the city was. And then later they would have some kind of a parlor event. And the results were pretty impressive. At uh, those seven meetings that they set up uh, in, in, in 1924, Keller spoke to over 10,000 people and raised about $8,000. And so, uh, this was a, 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 a you know although Helen had had uh, had been speaking in front of people uh, for a long time, this was a new experience for her to to go in and ask people for money, right? And so, uh, this is how she remembered it. This is Helen Keller quote: "I do not know a more disturbing sensation." than that of being ceremoniously ushered into the presence of a company of strangers who are also celebrities, especially if you have physical limitations which make you different. As a rule, when I'm introduced to such people, they are excessively conscious of my limitations. When they try to talk to me and find that their words have to be spelled into my hand, Their tongues cleave to the roof of their mouths and they become speechless. And I am quite as uncomfortable as they are. Even now, where people are gathered, I say little beyond explaining patiently that I am not Annette Kellerman. And just to intercede, Annette Kellerman was a champion swimmer of the day. Uh, I am not Annette Kellerman, that I do not play the piano and have not learned to sing. I assure them that I know day is not night and that it is no more necessary to have raised letters on the keys of my typewriter than for them to have the keys of their piano lettered. I become quite expert in simulating interest in absurdities that are told me about other blind people. And putting on my Job-like expression, I tell them blind people are like other people in the dark, that fire burns them and cold chills them and they like food when they're hungry and drink when they're thirsty that some of them like one lump of sugar in their tea and others more unquote but confident and impressed by their own success and sullivan macy presses the american foundation for the blind to pursue a more ambitious goal to raise a 2 million dollar endowment And do it immediately. And AFB eventually agrees. Sending Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan Macy. On a 53 city tour. Over seven months. In 1924. And 1925. And they deliver. 139 speeches. On that seven month tour. And that tour leads Helen and Annie to Sandusky, Ohio in June of 1925 to speak to the still very young Lions Club International Annual Convention. And this is Helen's speech. Dear Lions, I suppose you have heard the poetic legend which represents opportunity as a capricious lady who knocks at every door but once. And if the door isn't open quickly, she passes on, never to return. And that is as it should be. Lovely, desirable ladies won't wait. You have to go out and grab them. I am your opportunity clothed in visibility. I am knocking at your door. I want to be adopted. The legend doesn't say what you're to do when several beautiful opportunities present themselves at the same door. I guess you are to choose the one you love best. I hope you will choose me. I am the youngest, and the opportunity I offer you is full of splendid possibilities of service. The American Foundation for the Blind is only four years old. It grew out of the imperative needs of the blind and was called into being by the sightless themselves. It is national and international in scope and importance. It represents the best and most enlightened thought on our problems that has been reached so far. It embodies a new idea in our work, unity of effort, which is scientific and modern. It will render impartial assistance to all classes of the blind. It will make the efforts of local organizations more effective, more fruitful in results. The time has come to regard the work for the sightless as a whole, in which the kindergarten, the school, the library, the workshop, the home for the aged blind, and prevention are seen to be parts of a great movement with one end in view, namely making life more worth living for the blind everywhere. Besides the young blind for whom existing institutions are supposed to provide, there is a large class of men and women who lose their sight when it is too late for them to go to school. Those who are in the dark from childhood are hard pressed to find their place in the work of the world. But the man suddenly stricken blind is another Samson, bound, helpless, dependent until a way is found to unchain him. Try to imagine how you would feel if you lost your sight tomorrow. Picture yourself stumbling and groping at noonday as in the night, your work, your independence gone. In that dark hour, wouldn't your heart cry out for a friend to teach you how to live in the dark? That is just the kind of friend the American Foundation will be to all the blind if people with sight will only give it the support it must have. Adequately financed, it will help the blind in every emergency of their lives. You have heard how I was taught, how a little word from the fingers of another, a ray of light from another soul touched the darkness of my mind, and I found myself, found the world, and found God. It is because my teacher cared about me and broke through the dark, silent imprisonment which held me that I am able to work for myself and for others. If you care, if we can make the people of this great country care, the blind will triumph over blindness. This is the opportunity I offer you, Lyons, to foster and sponsor the work of the American Foundation for the Blind. Will you not help me hasten the day when there shall be no preventable blindness, no little deaf blind child untaught, No blind man or woman unaided. I appeal to you, lions, you who have your sight, your hearing, you who are strong and brave and kind. Will you not constitute yourself, knights of the blind, in my crusade against darkness? Helen Keller. It's quite a speech. It's very interesting, uh, when we listen to the words of uh, a speech written almost a hundred years ago. There there are some parts of it that might surprise us. I, I think the flirty tone that Helen adopts toward the lines in her first paragraph where she uh assumes the identity of Lady Opportunity and is almost is almost uh uh, flat, uh, batting her eyelids at uh, at the lions, uh, daring them to uh, to come over to her side of the of the room, and then of course she uses all sorts of language of disability that we would maybe not use today, uh, certainly inciting pity, uh, uh, almost what some people call inspiration porn. Uh, I don't think I think maybe that's a little harsh, uh, but but she is not afraid to instill. Uh, To to gain their sympathy, to gain their pity, uh, to try to get uh, uh, the lines to support her. But the end result of this speech is that the lines do adopt blindness and blind causes at the local level, at the regional level, at the national level uh, to – to support those causes, local blinds clubs, national – the last national lines clubs, they all take on blindness as a cause, and the impact has been amazing. Um, first, we have funds to produce braille books, funds to record books. The Lions Club has supplied long canes and radios and typewriters and all sorts of other modern appliances for people that are blind or visually impaired the lions club has arranged all, all sorts of entertainments uh, special trips to the theater uh, for music for plays uh, they've organized picnics they've created summer camps for blind kids they have paid college tuition for college students, uh, endlessly organized and supported eye clinics and all sorts of other medical services. In fact, when uh, just a few years later after this, the uh, the uh, AFB began uh, uh, doing a lot of uh, information gathering on the causes of blindness for kids in the residential schools for the blind they discovered that lots of kids had never seen an eye doctor, and that when uh, they were actually seen by an eye doctor, lots of kids had uh, uh, the causes of their blindness was actually reversible, or their their vision could be improved. And routinely, the Lions Clubs would pay for those medical procedures, or doctors who were members of the Lions Club would give away their services. Uh, to kids that were blind for free. Um, The Lions Clubs also supported all sorts of local agencies serving the blind at every level and just became a reliable and uh, enthusiastic partner for all sorts of endeavors. Now, um, we know a lot about the Army Army, uh, rehabilitation centers that were uh, developed during and after world war ii but did you know that the first civilian rehabilitation center to open after world war ii opened in little rock arkansas in 1947 with support from yep the lions clubs um, we know a lot about the creation of the seeing Eye, uh, the first dog training program in the united states in nashville but did you know that the second u.s dog school leader dogs for the blind which was created in rochester minnesota was and is heavily supported by the lions clubs in the midwest and finally uh, if you have a white cane in your hand or you used a white cane today, a lot of credit for the white cane can be laid at the feet of the Lions Clubs. A local Lions Club in Peoria, Illinois, in 1930, started giving out those white safety canes. And they are the ones in their little local area who got the first white cane safety law passed, and then the Lions Clubs worked across the country to uh, initiate the national white cane safety law movement and at the same time to uh, – Put white canes, you know what you would think of as an identity cane, not really a mobility cane, but a, uh, the white uh, cane. Uh, and so, you know, a free passage across roads and right-of-ways in the United States, it, you know, is it can be attributed to the Lions Club. And we could go on and on and on about the, all of the the things that the Lions Club have done to support uh, blindness agencies in their local areas. And I'm sure many of you all have stories like that. And so that that's my story. Um, It's a it's 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 one that starts out as a fundraising effort uh, on behalf of the American Foundation for the Blind, but ends up uh, with uh, those fateful words uh, from Helen Keller. Of course, she's a great speechwriter and a great, uh, you know, a great uh, communicator. And and it made a huge difference. So. um, Uh, Now I would love it if anybody out there uh, has any questions about anything I've talked about or Keller or the Lions Clubs, I'd like to open it up now and take some questions.
2: Donna Pomerantz, you can unmute. Hello, Michael. It's Mitch and Donna Pomerantz here in Pasadena. Hey, guys. And uh, one of the first clubs that Michael presented to was our Pasadena Host Lions Club well over a year ago. And uh, that was one of the few good things that came out of having virtual meetings, but I've got to tell you, Michael, there's a there's a gentleman in our club and uh, named named Dick Cast, and Dick is in his uh, probably early 80s, who uh, still works. He still sells real estate in the Pasadena area, but to this day, Dick will come up to me and tell me how wonderful your presentation was. And thank me. Uh, I was program chair at the time, and of course Donna was president, and uh, she is again this year. But but uh, he comes and says, "Mitch, that was a wonderful presentation that that man made about Helen Keller." And I just wanted you to know that uh, that Dick still remembers it fondly and reminds me of it uh, from time to time. So uh, another great performance, another great presentation and uh, and you're the best and at some point uh i i hope to get back to louisville i haven't been there in three or four years hope to get a chance to come back and actually uh actually tour the museum uh when it was still at afb um i was read the letter that uh that helen keller wrote i think subsequent to the uh to her lions uh presentation but i hope to get a chance to uh to talk to you again uh, and get back to Louisville at some point in the future. So you take care. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Mitch. That that was uh, I loved that. That was a great talk and and one of the things that impressed me uh, about your club uh, was, you know, and I was talking with someone earlier about this. You know, a lot of times, you know, we get up every day and we go do our thing, whatever our thing is, because we've always done it right. And, uh, the thing that impressed me about your club was like, as I, as I talked to them about Helen and, and her speech and, uh, lines for the, for the blind, they, they, it was like, they got it. You know, this is why we're doing this thing. This important thing that we've spent so much time and energy and money on. This is why we're doing it. That's the roots of it. And, uh, I, I really enjoyed my, my, my talk with your group.
2: uh, We we definitely, we definitely enjoyed having you and, and I had asked you to tell some stories that weren't common knowledge, and you did that. Thank you. And, and we all learned a lot. Thank you. That's great. That's great. And and by the way, if you guys come
1: uh, come to the museum in Louisville, I'll tell you some more stories that nobody knows.
3: <laughs> Sharon Starkowski, you can unmute. I was fascinated by this presentation. And what really struck me was um, the difference between the first piece that you wrote, Uh, read from Helen about how uncomfortable she could be in these strange situations, and then how polished that speech was um, to the lions. And I wondered whether um, all the things about, you know, bringing us out of the dark was something she really believed, because that's what the belief was then, or was it a pity thing? Um, And my second question is, I have an impression that in some parts of the country right now, blindness is not the primary focus of Alliance. Uh, They're not they don't always jump to uh, support blind people. They've taken on a lot of other causes. And I'd like to hear your comments on that. Thank you.
1: Sure. Those are both excellent questions. Your your, your first question is about it's kind of about language. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I also Sharon find uh, you know if you if you if you dig down into Helen when she's talking about her experiences, uh, you know, having to go into a room full of strangers and and ask them for money, it, it obviously made her deeply uncomfortable. But she was she did it. You know she. Put on her big big girl pants, and she went and did it, and 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 delivered these amazing polished speeches. Uh, As far as her language goes, if you will look at biographies by people that are blind or visually impaired, you know, say from 1900 to 1950, they commonly, you know, like the title of the book is often this thing like "Out of Darkness," you know, "Sight in the Shadows." uh, You know, it's just this common. Iconography is the best word I can use that it's commonly used that and, and you, you you wouldn't see people talk that way today. Um, I mean, I think she's definitely tugging on their heartstrings, and she's using language the you know language of 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 pity. But she also what she's also saying is help us help us make it possible for people who are blind or vision impaired to have normal lives to aspire to do things so that so that you won't have to pity them if, if that makes any sense and of course she herself is an amazing example of capability right she's she's in their face right there in the room with you know a, a you know a, a crowd full of people showing them you know what what is possible for somebody who who has uh, who's who's given uh, some accommodations your second question is more dicey and I can't say that I can actually respond to the substance of whether or not Lions Clubs around the country are not uh, uh, focused as much on blindness. But this is what I would think that what Helen would say. If that's true, then representatives from the blind community need to go talk to representatives from the Lions Club on a national level, the same way that she went and talked to them. And that's all I'm going to say. Well,
4: so this is uh, Rick Belcher from St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, Rick. And, okay, uh, first of all, I want to say this, and I'll tell you something from what for what it's worth. I was a trainee at uh, Lions World Services for the Blind, which had one time been known as Arkansas Enterprises for the Blind, and now it's World Services for the Blind. and i'll say this i will say this for what it's worth if it weren't for lion's world i wouldn't be talking to you right here on this phone right um they've worked me in getting independence Really, i kind of say i would say they saved my life yes
5: my name is suzanne Mend, and i'm a newcomer to acbl Uh, i've been a black lion for a number of years since 2002 in the Blacksburg, Virginia Breakfast Club. So um, I've been a part of the ACB teachers group, but I just sort of discovered the Lions, thanks to Carla and talking to her. So um, I'm- That's great. Getting interested in knowing you all. I'm really fascinated by that conversation you had about the two different letters with, I think it was Sharon. I think it's really interesting that she could, she could have both opinions at the same time. and I, I find myself doing that sometimes. if I'm If I'm in a presentation situation I'm, I'm pretty calm and pretty confident but if i end up in a reception or something like that i'm much less so that way and i wonder if that's what she was referring to in her different um different roles as it were yeah two different feelings about your position and
1: being pawed over to suzanne yes because everybody wanted to touch her
5: creep
1: me out and 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 bear in mind that you know i mean she's not just deaf but also blind i mean not just blind but also deaf and so you know the communication is coming is all being translated through uh either annie or lady later Polly thompson and you know she's constant you know she's she's got to be on right she's got to be helen keller right you know what i'm you know what i'm saying she's that's got to be the a celebrity the myth and that, that's yes her, and that's she's a, a celebrity that's a role, yes right? that's, that's her role that's yeah. her role and yeah. so uh uh you know she could
5: be the presenter she could be the guest or she could be the celebrity so
1: it's and she's got to be all that and 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 she's got to be charming and and smile even though she might be exhausted like there, there are some stories in the archives of, like being caught in a railroad station, and all these little ladies, they all descend upon her, and they all want to touch her. They all want her to write her name in braille on something they she give that they give her. You know, they all want a piece of her, uh, and so you know she's she's a big star, and uh, and and. You know, somehow or other, she manages to. Not all of our celebrities manage to emerge from that with their reputations intact. Right? Sooner or later, they they crack, <laughs> and their true personality comes out. But but that doesn't that doesn't happen to Helen. She 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 gives people a little piece of herself again and again and again.
3: Karen, you can unmute. Karen
5: Campbell. It, yeah, it is real interesting the contrast with her. And I know if there's a, I can tell you there's a lot of controversy in the deaf blind community about her too. I guess because, because um, I guess because of how she was portrayed.
1: Mm-hmm. Karen, do you think that, I mean it's sometimes it's hard for us, you know, a hundred years later to look back on uh the way people spoke, the way people talked. Uh but we we tend to judge them by our modern sensibilities, don't we?
3: Raymond, you can unmute
6: Yeah, this has been very interesting. Um I'm in Washington D C area. And uh, and someone that spoke about the Lions Club had got somewhat away from what their mission of being blind. And I am totally blind, and they do do a great job. They have a uh, a summer camp uh, called Merit in uh, Maryland that uh, the blind groups go to during the summer for a whole week, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's interesting. But but what, what i what I like to ask you in terms of where we are today in terms of uh, and it's a wonderful thing that we have the blind ACB club and the other clubs around that uh, blind people are uh, leadership roles but but beyond that um, what what would you say that the day Helen Keller would champion I I won't say champion, but what would you say just from um, you you going through the thing, getting sure sense sure of she would see today where blindness and deafness uh, is, and not in excluding technology, or you could add technology. Right. But what would you say she would, how she would view today? And what Well, I'll,
1: I'll tell you this, Raymond. Think about the events of the last two years, and what we as a country uh, have been talking about in terms of race and diversity and inclusion. Okay. I think Helen Keller would be at the forefront of that conversation because she was a champion for human rights, uh, the rights of women, the rights of uh, people, just regardless of their skin color, the rights of uh, people who, with disabilities. And I think she would be pressing the envelope. She would not be content to stand on the periphery of the conversation. She would be poking her nose into it. She would be writing. She would be speaking. And she would be demanding action. That's what I think Helen Keller would be doing right now.
5: Michael O'Brien, you can unmute.
4: Just a, a couple of things. First of all, what I think is amazing about uh Afb, uh, and this has to do with Helen Keller. I think uh, not long after they were founded, they had that that they built that building in New York that they were in for years. And, and they're not—I don't think they're headquartered in New York anymore. I think they're headquartered in Arlington, Virginia, aren't they?
1: That's right. You're talking about the building on West 15th Street.
4: Yes, uh, 15 West 16th Street. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that was built in the 20s, I think and it was amazing that so that's, that that uh, in such a short period of time after its founding that that building was put up and i i suspect that had much to do with helen keller is that do you think that's true
1: not building i mean they needed the building to accomplish three things okay back back in those days their three pillars were to be the information distribution center to be the what? source of research Right. And to be the advocate.
4: Okay? And they also they also made things, you know, supply and sold. That supplies was part of the recorded. research.
1: That was part right. of the research thing. Right. So they just, needed I'm, a building for all that, but they needed money, a lot of money to do that. That's where yeah. Helen and Annie come in. It's I'm, you know, they I'm were just. able to raise a lot of money and do it quickly. Yeah, I, I, and I'm
4: just amazed that they were able to build such an, an edifice as, a, a, in such a short time after their founding because they were a young, mm-hmm. young organization. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the other thing is a controversy that arose on a list about Helen uh, years ago, um, and Helen uh, was involved in all the all the causes of her time. It seemed um, I I don't know if she got involved in the the immigration uh, thing, uh, but she got involved in everything else. And one of the ones allegedly she was involved in was eugenics.
1: Yes. Yeah. When she was younger, she wrote uh, some stuff that's 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 very controversial about about eugenics. Essentially, should people with disabilities reproduce? Right. And. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, she was talking about uh, uh, people with congenital uh, um, yeah. disabilities. Um, and I, you know, I don't, Michael. I'm going to tell you, I'm not an expert on that part. I know that that conversation took place in her in her writings, and I think we ought to explore it. Yeah, uh,
4: that's what I, see. That's what I think because you know, it's one thing people confuse eugenics as the end versus the means, uh, which – Horrible, that people. Were, yes, uh, yeah. I mean, look at uh, there are a lot of things that are good ends, but if you use the wrong means to accomplish them, and people get the two f- confused. Uh, so what I, I'm saying, I would is- also
1: say, Michael, that uh, if if I look at your writing when you were 20 and what you yep. were writing about when you were 20. And no. what you write about now, I bet they're very different things,
4: <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, what I'm what I'm saying is, I wonder it would be interesting to know what she actually said about eugenics versus making all these comments that people make yes. and comparing her to the Nazis and everything else. And, well,
1: I'll tell you what: if Carla will invite me ne- next year, I'll I'll talk about it. I'll I'll do a little research. I'll pull it together into a story, and I'll I'll come back and share it with you guys.
4: And, and I'm sure I I'm glad I came to this. Rather than the other thing, I was going to go to, which I will get to eventually. Both good, good, good uh, seminars. But uh, man, uh, I have to, I have to second and third what everybody else is saying. You, you g- gave, gave and are giving a wonderful presentation as you always have, and I hope also someday to get back to the museum
1: in Louisville. Well, I hope to see you. I hope to see you.
0: It, Thank you. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what the topic is. If, if Mike prepares a presentation on it, you know it's going to be good. And I just want to ask, because I think it fits right here, and I'm not trying to push ahead of people with their hands up, but I don't want to lose this train of thought. with all of the cancel culture that's going on right now, there's been some talk about, well, let's cancel Helen Keller. Because people, some people say, well, she couldn't have been real. That has to be made up. And, um, of course, I think we, we, we know she was pretty real. But uh, um, I do find that interesting that, you know, if 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 you don't think that you could have done that kind of thing, well, then surely nobody else could have either. Yeah, I'm staggered. I'm that.
1: staggered by that, Carla. Uh, I know it I know. seems to come from kids uh, and it uh, some of it is people having trouble. It's a failure of imagination. Yes, and, and, you know, and, and Helen talked about, you know, that, you know, uh, you know, life without vision. And when she wasn't talking about physical sight, she was talking about mental sight, right? imagination. Mm-hmm. and people are uh, uh, and 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 it comes from basic ignorance, you know uh, about what is possible for anybody faced with a disability and 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 all you you know you learn a few techniques, right, uh, right. go to an, go to a rehabilitation center. And you know, in the first six weeks, they're going to show you a bunch of techniques to do things you thought were impossible, but they're not, they're not even hard. It's just using a different technique. And that's what Helen was doing all her life was just doing it, doing the same thing that other people did, but doing it with a different technique, but doing it equally as elegantly and uh, easily. Uh, but just doing it in a different way, and it's just a failure of imagination. Yep. And uh, we we all uh, in this community have a responsibility to educate and change attitudes uh, about what's possible, and and that it's not none of these things are rocket science, right? Now we have rocket scientists in the blood community; those are amazing people. I'm just talking about being able to do ordinary things like walk, talk, eat. You know, yeah. dress right. yourself, right? Yeah.
5: Good evening, Betty Passanati Here, I'm glad to Hi. be here. I'm 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 certainly glad to be. Uh, Mike, you know what? I mi- I sort of forgot. You mentioned three things that the Lions did. You mentioned leader dogs and the white cane. I forget what the first thing thing was.
1: They um they founded or helped fund the first non-military civilian oh, rehabilitation great, center then. oh right oh that's pretty heavy that's, in Arkansas in 1947 she yeah. is amazing at turning a phrase though I mean she's yes
5: oh yes the mind I, was there Goodness.
1: yeah I find her her prose just to be amazing in, in, I find one of the most fascinating things that we have and I just put it out on display in a, a new museum exhibit that we installed on Helen is her Braille rider and so the keys on that braille writer you know that's holy ground <laughs> those wonderful fingers caressing that braille writer and how you're so right how essential braille was to helen keller
3: <laughs> kevin you can unmute awesome cool thank you for
4: this great um history uh, discussion um i'm curious if there are any uh like sample or like recordings of how she like whether speeches or kind of presentations, that
1: there are there are Kevin. I'll, I'll oh. tell you what. I'm going to give out my email address, and if anybody wants a link to uh, uh, some of Helen actually talking, I'll email it to you. So I'm going to give it to you. Everybody ready? It's m h u d s o n at a p h org. M Hudson at aph.org email me and i'll send you the link to that when helen showed up uh, she got things done she just has this magic that they you know a lot of times they are the eager to to try and see what they can do to make miss helen happy so that is great. I've enjoyed myself immensely. I want to thank everybody for letting me spend some time with ACB uh, this evening, and uh, as you can tell, it's one of my favorite subjects, and I love talking to this group.
0: Thank you, Mike, we certainly appreciate you being with us tonight and and answering all these questions. And I'm sure that most people, like as as I, are interested in hearing the next part of the story.
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org.